Hello and welcome back to the Charlie Ashby Show. Uh, we just had a quick hiatus for a few weeks as I was getting used to uh, doing two podcasts now for the Patreon. We've got Batman Returned, which is pretty awesome. And uh, me and Auden just recorded our second episode of that. So that look, pay attention, basically, because that will be out very soon. But today, Charlie Ashby Show is back. And this week, I'm joined by one of the funniest people I've ever met. He's the Director of Communications for Data Vortex and the host of Sia Bibble's Babble Bubble. It's Reed Devaney. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm, I'm, I'm very flattered by the selection of one of the funniest people you've ever met, because you know a lot of funny people. I do. But you do. You know. there is no one who can, out of nowhere, go on a diatribe about Gungan sexual organs. You know what? I, I won't challenge you on that. It's probably something very unique to me. That, that's sure, you know. There's some notebooks out there that I hope nobody ever gets their hands on, or else there goes my chance of a good career. Yeah, don't kill anyone, because if the police find those books, those will be the damning evidence. Yeah, you know, a lot of people talk about how uh, <laughs> the later seasons of Sherlock kind of jumped the shark a little bit and had some weird stuff. The even later season they didn't air was about them finding those books. What, Martin Freeman just flicking, looking at pictures of Jar Jar being naked? Mm-hmm. All different sorts of angles, knowing all sorts of different tips and tricks on how to really stimulate the uh, the Gungan sexual psyche. I would love just to hear Moriarty talk about that. Oh, hello there, Sherlock. Look what I've got. It's a Gungan book. <laughs> I'm going to bring you down. Is this like from beyond the grave, taunting him? <laughs> Have you ever seen The Phantom Menace, Sherlock? He's like, excuse me? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very confusing subplot to Sherlock. Well, I, I'd watch that. <laughs> you know what? I'll take any Star Wars content right now. So when you have that cross-intersectionality, I mean, it can work. I mean, or you could, I will gladly take his um, character from uh, Fleabag doing the exact same bit, too. Hello there, I'm a priest. Have you ever seen <laughs> The Phantom Menace? <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> what is it? I, th I thought Attack of the Clones was better than The Phantom Menace. Well, Attack of the Clones does have a really great sequence of Jar Jar Binks. He's very good in it. Have you seen the third film? He's at a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Touching himself the whole time. Excuse me? <laughs> That's what I want. You see his head? His head is, is tented downwards, and his hands are covering, like, they're crossed in front of him as he's walking in that funeral procession. But what are they hiding? Exactly. Makes you think. I like to think that he's also holding a separate uh, chain that Anakin made him. And Padme thinks it's, like, really special. <laughs> but he, he made them for all of them. <laughs> no, Padme just got the dinky one. <laughs> like, he made... You know how, like, when you make stuff, you have, like, your first pass just to get the kinks out? Yeah. Experiment with new things. Like, oh, let me try, you know, turning the heat up a little bit. Or I haven't really soldered these two materials together. That's the one Padme got. Jar Jar got something very intricate. One that he can wear around his neck or another appendage. Now, in Anakin's mind, it was going to be one of his, like, ear tail things. But no. Mm -mm. Not Jar Jar. Oh, no. It's like going to Phyllogy, you know what I mean? They, they have the, the dick jewelry. Mm hmm. Very. It's very well known for it. it's, um, you know, there's the uh, what is it? The Richelieu uh, arc in the the, uh, the Clone Wars based on the Three Musketeers or whatnot. 
when you know the Gungan Mystic teams up with Count Dooku. Yeah. And, and the reason he switched sides is Count Dooku promised to pay him in all sorts of uh, penile pleasantries. That, that sounds like a really lovely cafe. <laughs> penile pleasantry? Oh yeah, like some sort of like in Soho or perhaps in like Paris, where everyone walks around naked. Everyone walks around naked. No, 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 no. Everyone walks around fully clothed with the exception of, you know, you're keeping the groin area exposed because you don't want any distractions. So it's kind of like you're wearing like a gimp outfit. So, you know, the face is fully covered, the sleeves, the hands, the feet, the legs, the arms, all of it's fully covered, but there's one general exposure. And that's how you know that that's what the pleasantries are all about. And you can tell the difference between classes by who has the nicer uh, jewelry and adornment <laughs> down there. It's just very weighted. Very weighted, yeah, exactly. So there's a, people don't really stand up that long, you know, and the, and the chairs kind of have nice little soft little pillows that you can kind of rest things up upon a bit because, you know, you got to give it a break. Yeah, it's kind of like how in ancient uh, Greece to have a smaller penis was actually a sign of, like, People preferred that, which is why when we look at mm-hmm. statues and stuff, they're adorned with smaller penises because it's a sign of, you know, oh, that person's better. If you had a bigger penis back then, it would actually be something that people wouldn't enjoy. So in this case, I would because you, assume... you rely too you rely too much on what you have, not the skills you need to develop. Exactly. But in this scenario, the society would be like the weighted down is better because it shows that you need you have to have the it shows that you have the weight to be weighted down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I feel like the uh, the opposite shop would be uh, pussy patisseries. <laughs> <laughs> nice and creamy. Mm. Well, <laughs> the show is supposed to be the uh, the normal version <laughs> of my journalism, but I tell you what, I love just getting into these incredible weird descriptions. I mean, nobody else I could talk about ancient Greece and their depiction of the phallic symbolism. Uh, but with you, Reed, I can do whatever I want. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm all yours. Call, call me Plato because I'm the world. I don't know Plato's catchphrase. I was going to follow up with it, but I, I realize I have no idea. Just, just picture Plato. Was Plato the one who got Mold. killed by an egg? Oh, I was talking about Plato the toy. Oh, um, Plato the man. Plato the man. <laughs> We're talking ancient Greece. <laughs> no, I was talking play do d o u g h, but play toe. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was on the. I was on the complete Greek. Uh, <laughs> you're st- you're still fully on the Greek. <laughs> oh no, that that's funny. I believe so. Yes, I know that Socrates poisoned himself because he was encouraged to drink the poison in his. Students told him to uh, renounce his own teachings to save his life, but Socrates would not compromise on his values, so he drank the hemlock. What a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was, um, it wasn't Aristotle, but somebody else had such a high reverence for uh, living beans, like bean plants, I think. And when his school was set on fire, the only way out was to run through the bean field, and he'd rather burn alive than step on his beans. Incredible. That's got to be, that's somebody. Maybe I just, you know, dreamt this up, but I'll tell you, the ancient Greeks, they really had a, I think a real uh, fun time, though. They're great. Um, that's why I love history. It just because it, it shows you how 
people who came up with the most incredible discoveries, the the idea of uh, philosophy, the idea of the, count, the founding stones of both uh, medicine and health and all this incredible science. And they're still fucking stupid. They're still human. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the more you find out about somebody, the it's it's very quick how they fall down in your opinion. I mean, I think when you're talking about science, the first one to, to do that for me, I must have been, you know, in, in middle school or early high school when I found out that Newton thought he could make sunglasses by taking coins and hammering them real thin, like gold coins that you could be kind of translucent. And he spent all day <laughs> looking at the sun with gold coins covering his eyes. A genius to the very last. Genius, he, you know. Didn't he also want to like create the Philosopher's Stone? He did, yes. He was very much into alchemy. I wrote about that in college, actually. His uh, alchemical pursuits is something that later, uh, so the, the Royal Academy of Science and other of Newton's disciples, more or less, uh, though, of course, if you were to ask him, he would call no one his disciples because he's a relatively antisocial guy. Uh, but all these people looked up to him to preserve his legacy, really tried to shoot down his alchemical interests and backgrounds. They thought that it would delegitimize everything else he did. I do love the idea of them being like, look, we can't make sure, we have to make sure his legacy continues. We don't want him to look like an idiot. Okay, okay. So what did he do? He found out about gravity. Uh, how did he do it? An, an apple fell on his head. <laughs> so now the symbolism <laughs> of Isaac Newton forever will be him getting hit on the head by just an apple. Be, just being a real door sitting <laughs> under an apple tree and the clunk, boop, right on the head. It's, it's funny, you know, you can go to Cambridge and uh, what is it? Not King's College, Trinity College, Cambridge, which is his. They have a tree in a courtyard there that they claim it's not the actual apple tree because he was at his family's home when that event apocryphally happened. Uh, but apparently a seedling of that apple tree is now at Cambridge. and It's this lone, ap- sad little looking apple tree all by itself, looking totally out of place. And they're just fully committed to it. Crazy. I haven't visited Cambridge yet. You haven't made it to Cambridge? I have not, no. I've been to Oxford. Have though. you? Have you you've made it? Okay, so I've only done the reverse. I've never been to Oxford, but I, I spent a summer at Cambridge. And uh, just, just long enough for me to be able to say that sentence and uh, get people swooning and other people scoring. Oh my goodness. Oh, you were at Cambridge. Uh, <laughs> I was the Oxford that's... boy myself. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, I've got a, I've got a funny Cambridge. I, I mean, we don't have to hang out Reed's days in Cambridge for, uh, for too long in the episode. But I'm just, I'm gonna keep going if that's all right. Uh, absolutely. So I, um, when I was there, I decided to really play up being from Texas <laughs> because I just knew, you know, when you guys come over here. You know, everyone's all like, oh, we love the accent. We love the British culture. And, you know, this is when Downton Abbey was really big and all this other jazz. And so, you know, Poe, very pro-British aristocracy, British snootyism at its finest was very popular at the time. And so, you know, I felt like it was only fair that I give myself the chance to experience that and just go full Texan through and through. So like I, rather than 
and like wear ties at formal events that were held at, you know, these these Cambridge colleges and dining halls. I would wear bolo ties with a, like a Lone Star of Texas and a cactus <laughs> and like a turquoise. I had bow ties, too, just because I love bow ties. But I had the bolo ties. I would really get the draw going. And um, a real pinnacle for me is I went to the Eagle, which is a really famous pub there. That's where all the uh, World War II pilots would hang out. So um, very old, established um Watson and Crick supposedly came up with their DNA stuff while drinking there. So it's an old historic pub and I'm sitting there and I, you know, for the pa- past hour that I'm there, I'm just talking with like an increasingly ridiculous Texas accent like this. Well, oh, well, hello, sir. <laughs> now, you don't happen to have any Budweiser on tap, do you? I'm just kidding. Give me something local, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And then eventually there was this group of, um, oh, gosh, three or four British lasses. And there was a line I'd always wanted to try. So I, I, I walk up there and after some egging off for some friends, and I, I talked to them like, hey, you know, when I told folks I was leaving Texas, they said, Reed, you're going to say goodbye to sweet tea. Well, I know about you, but you're some of the finest looking sweet teas I've ever seen. Oh, oh, oh no. Worked like a charm. Oh, oh my gosh. Did it? it did. Yeah, they thought it was hokey. Oh. Well, when you say, well, there you go. When you say local lasses, is, is it, we're talking like Cambridge, so like, you know, tops. Yeah, very, very, <laughs> very, very snooty lasses. You know, it's the type where like they probably see someone from Texas and be like, oh, yes, this would be wonderful to add to my father's collection at the museum. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how my great grandfather's been collecting people <laughs> since 1912. Not legally, of course, but. Um... Oh God! Yeah, I can imagine they were like, "Oh, look at him! He's from the old country." <laughs> <laughs> oh, how ragged! Do you know Wild Bill Hitchcock? <laughs> he came over. I like the idea. Now they're like just like what, 110? <laughs> <laughs> we saw him at the circus. <laughs> the circus, yes. P.T. Barnum came with. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Absolutely great fellow. Peter Pan, we saw that live. It was awesome. Um, no, 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 no. They're, they're, they're so old. Yeah. <laughs> You're so old. You went to find a Neverland with Peter Pan. Ooh. Oh, that film. You went to grade school with Wendy. Hey. Yeah, I mean, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, Jesus Christ, that's, that's quite the story. That, yeah, it is. Uh, Good times. I do. There are so many places. It's funny because Britain's so small, but there's so many places places you can't just get to just because the like the infrastructure and stuff. Um, but when you go there, there's so much history, obviously, because we've been around for ages. That mm-hmm. every single bit is just so interesting to sort of delve into. Like Cambridge would be an interesting place to sort. Of, <clears throat> I mean, like you just said, like an apple seedling from the apple that supposedly fell on uh, Isaac Newton's head. Is hey yeah you can just go visit it and um, yeah because that was actually my first time over there uh, in in your neck of the woods I uh, but the first town I, I spent some time in is because uh, I got there early before the program I was doing so I spent time in Bath and that was when I first saw that here are you know townhouses that have these signs in front of them and now I, I I've learned they're everywhere all over your country. Where it says, "Oh, these are the famous people who lived here." Oh yeah, the blue, uh, yeah, the blue signage. 
yeah, I thought that was so cool. Like, oh, here's this particular poet. Here's this MP. Here's a playwright. This dude, you know, was a general. And to see the neighborhood. So not only are you surrounded by old buildings, but you can, you know, literally in your mind, build these worlds on top of it because you can say this is the person who was quite literally here and this is where they were standing and they were interacting with this guy who I know exactly who it was right across the street and you know you can go to the nice fashion collections or like the V&A or the fashion museum or something like that to see like this is what people were wearing and you can really start to build the history of your country in a way that that's super cool and um, yeah yeah the London Museum is pretty awesome they got like a really great in-depth you go in, you've got like the Stone Age, and you go all the way upwards, and you've got all the different materials, and it's yeah, it's pretty crazy the amount of records and stuff we've got. And the blue plaques mm-hmm. are definitely one of my favorite things to do. Everywhere I go, I'm the friend who they're like, oh, for God's sake. Like, if you're walking down the road, I have to go and actively look mm-hmm. at the plaques and be like, oh, that's awesome, that's where... That's where that. And then my friend's like, what are you talking about? Who gives a shit about who <laughs> left here? <laughs> like, I understand, guys, this is important. One of my favorite things is that the dental hospital I used to go to, well, I still go to it, but they've recently moved this year. And for about 10 years, every time I'd walk through a different cutoff point through Cam- Camden, there would be the street and it said, Vladimir Lenin lived here. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's nice. Oh, see, that's fantastic. Yeah, the only thing that we really have down here in Texas and surrounding states is this is the Confederate who lived here. And, you know, so that's kind of a... <laughs> uh, yeah. We'd rather not... Not hang out and dwell in that general uh, general regard, especially these days. Although, to be fair, we, we, some of these people that we have been talking about were also shits in their own respect. Um, true, very true. Yeah, Lenin, you're not getting a pass, Vlad. Even Isaac Newton, I found out about this year, uh, is a very interesting case. I don't know, have you, have you read about all the slavery links? I have not, no. It's very interesting, very fascinating. Um, a lot of the money he got, of course, was from. Uh, the various means. Mm, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, that guy is a, is a real kettle of fish. Yeah, I mean, he tried to make fucking gold out of nothing, so I'm not, I'm not really surprised there. <laughs> and wear him as glasses. Oh, what a lovely fella. Well, why don't we get into the questions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by the British Tourism Board. Come by and read our blue plaques. <laughs> but don't come by and stay. We'll kick you out. <laughs> yeah, come and visit and <laughs> get out of here. Okay. Especially if you're European. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so my first question for you is, what inspired you growing up? Okay, that's an interesting question. You know, it, so simply, it's so loaded at the same time. I am... Um, hmm. I'll go with two answers for this. One, uh, for the sort of literal perspective in terms of, you know, an inspiration I got to interact with regularly, that would be my my grandparents. Uh, I'm going to focus specifically on my two grandfathers. So my paternal grandfather uh, was a very fascinating man. He grew up in uh, rural Tidewater, Virginia, so not too far from, uh, I guess, like where Yorktown is, between Richmond and Yorktown. Mm. And he, you know, grew up in a very racial segregated South uh, prior to the Depression and then afterwards, too. And from that took on a stance of uh, compared to other people of his, of his age of. Uh, sort of uh, racial justice that 
was very contrarian to what was expected of him. You know, when he was a kid, he attended a lynching just because that was the thing that you do. And that really imprinted on his life in choosing to do something different and choosing to take an active stance. Mm. The way that he did that was as a playwright and a film director. Uh, So he worked in New York for a while before moving down to Texas, which is how my dad's family got down here, uh, where he directed the first bilingual uh, television program called called Sun Reese's. It was on uh, PBS very briefly. Uh, But anyhow, so he was always an inspiration because he touched into me the way how you can use uh, creativity, particularly in his case, poetry, uh, screenwriting and playwriting as a way to express movements through your eyes and try to bring forth some sort of of change there. And on the other end, my maternal grandfather, uh, who is still still with us, my, my dad's dad passed away eight years ago. Uh, but my mom's dad has been an active influence in my life. He is a, a brilliant mathematician and worked as a, a code breaker during the Cold War. So one reason I have such a fondness for uh, for Britain is because he would spend a lot of time going back and forth between the East Coast here in the States. Uh, so his time working in Washington, working in Princeton, and going doing stuff over in Cheltenham. And he had developed a real legacy for himself over there and here. And so I now work with my family's company that it derives from his intellectual property, Data Vortex Technologies. The technology is the Data Vortex. And so both of my grandfathers for me offered this kind of, how you can have both sides of the spectrum, the one of here's the art, here is, you know, math and science, the kind of STEM. And so I kind of saw myself of where do I intersect in the middle? Where do I try to be the best that my family brings to the table? And I know, you know, it talks about family and legacy. That sounds very, you know, medieval or, you know, dynastic or something like that. And, you know, I try not to let that get like into my head or anything, but I really do take family very seriously and try to be inspired by my own legacy. And that's just the case of the two of them. Of course, my own parents, uh, my two grandmothers, aunts and uncles, etc. So I'd say family is a big one. And then my second answer to this, this question uh, would be, you know, finding inspiration from, uh, you know, popular culture and, and what I was reading and uh, watching at the time. And the figure who most inspired me that's just coming to the head right now would be Indiana Jones. Not that I ever wanted to be an archaeologist, really, but I loved the fact that here was a guy who was an academic who, you know, was supposedly stodgy, yet did really cool stuff on the other end. It was an intersection of history and magic and travel and statecraft because you're trying to stop the Nazis, you know, Mm. and all this other type cool stuff. And I so it's not that, oh, and plus Harrison Ford's just badass. <laughs> I mean, if anyone who, you know, loves Star Wars and is a fan of <laughs> a fan of the Imperial Senate podcast, your main show, I'm I'm sure all all agree with that statement through and through. So it's no surprise to to any any listeners here. But um, yeah, so I just it was like the spirit of Indiana Jones I wanted to replicate in terms of being multidisciplinary, uh, but. Placing first and foremost, being well-informed and being well-read. And that kind of just got to, I I tell this joke about people, you know, my name's Reed because I love to read. (laughs) I mean, it's really not. My name's Reed because it's my 
mother's maiden name, but it still worked out very, uh, very well for me. So uh, <laughs> to, to pull that one off. So long and long winded answer. No, but it's, it's really fascinating the way, like you said, family and also media can be two important aspects of our lives. And I don't think mm-hmm. that the dynastic family root is a negative trait. It can be in terms of like, let's say, like if you were like, I don't know, the president of the United States and <laughs> you had, I don't know, like family members and high ranking roles, that would probably be like a negative trait um, mm-hmm. or some sort of dynastic um, monarchy of sorts. <laughs> uh, but no, I feel like obviously like in terms of our sk- like just as a human being, our skill sets are supposedly derived a lot from um, our DNA, from our ancestors. Like those mm-hmm. those small things, like when you touch fire, you know it's it's bad, or like those innate things that like you just you know like that feel, that feeling that you get is supposedly mm-hmm. from like years and years of um, your ancestors learning these things and that being brought about through your DNA. So that's always there, and I feel like as well, just it there is a, a direct link. I think like if you look like genealogical shows and stuff like that, there's always a specific link. I think like. If you're a creative and you find out that your great great grandfather was a, I don't know, like a you know, in a fear or something, it it shouldn't be as a surprise because it just runs in your DNA a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it certainly seems like you've got like an amazing background. Like those, both your grandparents have like sort of incredible pasts, and that I think that reflects just in you already. I mean, look, I'm looking at your LinkedIn and it's got the fact that. You are this director of communications, but also you do all this other cool stuff like uh, you do freelance historical research, which is pretty cool, I think. Oh, thank you. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, quite frankly. And if I were to search your name on YouTube, you have two main videos. One of them, obviously, is you talking about your family company and being really in-depth and really passionate about this incredible, um, like familial company and, and you actually generally believe in it and at the same time the second video is our podcast where you're talking about silly star wars stuff <laughs> but both are valid that's hilarious i i did not know that uh <laughs> that came up i that makes me very happy i i really enjoyed doing that podcast with y'all when was that like april yeah or, lockdown yeah in, in, in peak lockdown environments that was a lot of fun and I feel like those two elements shouldn't count through each other, and it and it just proves your point about the, the whole uh, Doctor Jones, where he would teach you about history in one hand, and then on the other hand, when he's free time, he'd go out and do these crazy adventures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I too uh, <clears throat> was very in love with Indiana Jones because of that. I was a big history dork as a kid, and I still am. So those like elements always, like everyone else, like, oh yeah, the action. I'm like. Well, it's more like uh, when they go to all these different places. Um, <laughs> like the idea of like reading into the, and it's not just um, history in terms of history fact; it's history fiction as well, which I find really intriguing. The biblical, oh, oh, yes. fictions. yeah, the inter- the intersection of historiography, so just the literal study of history and historical fiction, and what liberties people take, I, I think, is a really cool subject matter. A hundred percent, and how we like the whole point of it, people think history is literally just going, going back, and going. Okay, that happened. The end. When it's not, mm-hmm. it's an entire process of trying to work out 
what is true, which of the biases. Like, you can't go back and read Shakespeare and, like, expect Richard III just to be purely evil. Of course mm-hmm. they would say that, because he, he was beaten by the one the monarch at the time's grandfather. They're going to go, mm-hmm. oh, Elizabeth, your grandfather was a shit. He'd be killed. <laughs> so you have to, like, put those biases in your head and work out which is which. Yeah, one of the um, saddest things for me, and uh, this is coming as someone who loves uh, who loves Tacitus, the Roman historian, but it's the fact that he wrote that, that the histories of the Roman Republic and the Roman uh, monarchy, just as Virgil was writing the Aeneid, during the reign of Augustus, to make the line of Augustus via Julius Caesar look as strong as possible. And it's really sad that we're lacking real primaries, uh, other than uh, some stuff Plutarch was doing, real primary sources of what was going on in the age of the Roman Republic, because it's just so backwards looking propaganda. That's You mentioned the whole Shakespeare thing, the royal patronage, and kind of redefining the whole War of the Roses period and before and after it yeah. uh, to an extent. And, you know, you see that has long scattered up and down how... Uh, how history has been told and so anytime people happen to stumble upon letters or diaries or, or stuff like that it's always a, a real treat one of the uh, highlights of my uh, academic life i'll say is when i was working on my my undergraduate degree at the university of texas i had the great privilege to go over to uh, the national archives in Kew on two separate occasions to work on uh, my my undergraduate research thesis, which was about uh, signals intelligence, basically code breaking, computerized code breaking, cooperation between the United States and the United Kingdom during World War II. And it was so cool to be able to, you know, go over there, go into the archives, which is just such an overwhelming experience to begin with, to be know that you're in the same building with so many unique stuff and reading, you know, the telegraphs and handwritten letters between people and really getting in touch with them. And you can then take that and put that opposite the you know the histories written about in the time or the stuff you know that was written 20 years later or 30 years or 40 years and how that's all changed how people went back to look at it and it's kind of sad though as i was working on this project it it ruins the movie the imitation game for me because that came out the exact same year oh wow and yeah so for all intents and purposes i'll admit the imitation games like it's a well done well acted movie but i just couldn't stand the uh, misportrayal of uh, Sir Alistair Denniston, who was the main focus of my group. He's the guy Charles Dance plays in that movie. Yeah. That I found it too distracting to actually enjoy the movie. So it's kind of this, it's sort of a double-edged sword. And, you know, I don't want to be the Neil deGrasse Tyson fellow who, you know, <laughs> goes on Twitter and say, this is what's wrong with what you're enjoying. So I, I keep the criticisms to myself. Um, but... It's it's kind of hard, but it's cool to see how a, the same story that has happened gets retold so many different ways at so many different levels. Yeah, I think me and Nikki had a similar conversation about the new Assassin's Creed game. Oh yeah, I yeah I have not played any of those since uh, Unity, I think. Mm. But uh, but one thing I loved about those games is that. As historically messy as they may or may not have been, they served as a great gateway drug into history for a lot of people. Yes, and that's how I feel about stuff like Doctor Who. I think it's so important to have those great fictional elements because then it doesn't 
it should uh, build some sort of urge in you or kids to want to actually research this stuff. And that's what I love about mm-hmm. it. Like, I love the the, sh- it- the show Victoria. But of course, a lot of that is obviously fictionalized. And then you go back and look at different sources and stuff. And that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you find out that truth is indeed stranger than fiction because no movie, no matter how long or how well done it is, or TV show or miniseries, even if a TV show lasts 10 seasons, can fully touch on to everything that was going on and every single little intricacy. So, you know, going back to the, the War of the Roses, there's a character who I don't I don't know if Nikki's spoken to you about this guy, but there's a guy, uh, or Jasper Tudor. We have a, a fondness for Jasper Tudor. He was Henry Tudor's uncle who egged him on to crossing the channel and going back. Yeah. And getting that whole thing started. And I just love the story of this guy. But of course, you know, when you're trying to tell the Tudor story, there isn't really much room to like, oh, let's cast Jasper and really make him a primary focus and get the most out of him. I mean, we've seen, you know, in some stuff, things like the White Queen or White Print, one of those shows, you sort of see it. But that's just an example of one character who you just honestly can't fit when trying to tell a, tell a story and getting all the classic elements. And there's hundreds of them, people just like that, in every single moment in history. And so the more you read, the more you dig, the more you discover, it's never ending. Yeah, and that's the best. For me, it's one of the, my favorite pastimes. It's just going down that Wikipedia hole. Then looking at different sources and reading those actual sources and delving into that ridiculous sort of nature of things. Oh, abs- absolutely. Getting Wi-Fi on a plane has made flying so much better because you can just get lost like on the Crusades in Wikipedia. Well, and you won't even make it to the third one <laughs> because you've clicked so many names and you're already at your destination. The Crusades is just incredible. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up and thinking that the Knights Templar weren't that interesting. And then the more I research, I'm like, these dudes. <laughs> they are fascinating. Have you read the, um, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher the author's name. I think it's Daniel Jones, his book on the Templars. I haven't, but I, I listened to the podcast of him. Yeah, he did the Plantagenet book that was really popular. Um, yeah, the Templars, the rise and spectacular fall of God's holy warriors. I literally just finished that last week. Oh, wow. And like, when you learn about, yeah, their various like participations in military campaigns are cool. And that's like the sex appeal. But for me, it's like, whoa, I had no idea they had this much power in terms of banking mm. or all the various European alliances they were involved with and how that, you know, like Portugal wouldn't have been around had they not stepped in. All sorts of little stuff like that. And uh, it, it's super cool, like the politicking you hear that's going on. And so even if it takes playing Assassin's Creed, and yeah, the Templars are the bad guys who want to get rid of free will in that game, but that gets you to go and Google them for the very first time and just maybe you stumble upon that book or another book. Just go with it. I love it. Yeah, the specific thing that we were angry about was that in this new Assassin's Creed game, uh, the main villain... Because the, the main character is a Viking. And um, I think it's is it Edward the First who... I can't remember if it's Edward the First who the, is the main villain of the game or not. Let me have a quick double check. Hey, you know, that's the benefit of the internet. I don't know how they podcasted before the internet. You couldn't Google anything. How <laughs> dare they? How dare they? Your podcast would just have to be sent out by Pigeon. With a bunch of errors. Well, while you're looking on who's the main villain, one of my favorites is Assassin's Creed Rogue. That's the one that, you know, you, you play as the Templar. 
one of the uh, bad guys is uh, Lawrence Washington, George Washington's older brother. Mm. And the, uh, where I live, I live in Northamptonshire, and that's actually where the Washingtons come from. Oh, really? And there's a there's a local church. Well, I say local, like in town ta- in Northamptonshire, there is a church. I think with their well, where their estate was, and then also where his great great grandparents would have been buried. That's super cool. Uh, our local train station has this like amazing wall full of all these history facts there. Of like all these different. Once again, an- another reason to visit Britain. You just go to the train station and get get overwhelmed with facts. Because <laughs> yeah, like, well, Northampton was one of the main places where the Barons came for the Magna Carta. That's cool. So, so we had. Um, I've actually been to one of the uh, churches where uh, King John visited, and was like, "Oh, these guys, <laughs> they're going on my nerves." <laughs> oh, Alfred the Great, sorry, uh, the King of the West. Actually. Alfred the Great. So that's who's the bad guy for Assassin's Creed. What is it even called? Assassin's Creed Norseman or something? Valhalla. I, I, don't keep. Valhalla. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> and me and Nick are like, okay, but can we play as the villain? <laughs> Quotation. They have some cool people for the villains in those. And I, yeah, I would love to play from that perspective. It'd be cool that when they release those games, you could do like a two play, a two story playthrough. You know, two facts. Like once is one faction, and then replay the game as the as the different faction. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because it's not like the Vikings were fucking nice people. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect for them, for them creating founding uh, foundations for our culture, I guess. But but also the raping and the pillaging is a negative for me. That's a pretty darn. You know, I know I know a couple abbots that have a few words to say to them. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I could just talk to you about history forever. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Meanwhile, Friar Tuck. No. <laughs> oh yes, uh, Robin Hood. That's what. Uh, it's always nice to talk to Americans who actually know history, because sometimes. Oh God, read when I went to Windsor Castle last year. There was this American family, and they were the most stereotypical American family. The sort of family you'd find on Mr. Bean. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, they were. I mean, like, because we were on top of Windsor Castle, on top of the roof. Uh-huh. And I openly said to my mum, because I just couldn't keep it, I want, I want to throw them off. Because <laughs> they were like, is Queen Victoria? And like, is this pr- pr- is Prince Harry? And doesn't live here? And they're like, well, the Queen lives here. I was like, oh! I was like, well, she's not here at the minute. Oh, okay. Can anyone <laughs> live here? I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, and then they were talking about uh, George. And I went, Wow, that's the Queen's dad. And it's like, no, George the Third is not the Queen's dad. <laughs> She's old, but not that old. <laughs> I know, right? That was one of the best moments was actually last year. Uh, we went to Windsor to go to Legoland. And we stayed in that hotel, which was literally across the street from Windsor Castle. And when I say literally, I mean, like, if you look out the window, it's Windsor Castle. Like, it's opposite house. You could see the Queen's knickers as she was home changing. Yeah, I was looking out the window. And down my pants. Uh, no, I'm joking. That's, I'm pretty sure that's treason. Um, that's treason. Were you? I I can make that joke. We we determined that I can make that joke in 1717. I said too many 17. <laughs> 17, 17, 17. Seven, 
Seventeen. It's like eleventieth birthday, you know, for for old Bilbo Baggins. That was a was that part of the declaration? <laughs> yes, that we could make jokes about seeing the monarch's underwear. <laughs> now, got they they were a little worried when Victoria came around because up to that point was always it was always a king, but once there was a queen, we felt like oh is that is that and that's actually the real reason the American Civil War happened. Oh, so the South wanted to see. A, the South, yeah, clearly that's what Fox News will tell you. It wasn't about slavery. It was about whether or not we're allowed to see make jokes about seeing Queen Victoria's knickers. I have to say, she had great knickers. I would have grabbed her by the <laughs> monarch. Um, uh, no, but <laughs> one of my favorite things actually about Winter Castle was after they had the chapel there, and in the chapel was buried a number of incredible monarchs. Including George the Fourth buried there, George the Third. We have uh, obviously, obviously the recent king, obviously George the Sixth, was buried there. But my favorite, one of my favorite monarchs of all time, as we mentioned earlier, and when I say favorite, of course I'm not saying he everything he did was good because that's obviously not the case. Um, Henry the Eighth. Oh, I didn't know he was up there. So I physically stood above him. Like, the, like, take that on the cap, like, literally on the um, like the chapel floor. You see it, it just says Henry VIII and Jane Seymour, and that was kind of like a crazy experience because I was like, he's literally underneath me. Yeah, I that's one of my favorite things about going over there and you know, the rest of Europe when you go to the uh chapels or cathedrals and how they're under the floor tile. Mm. It's you know, all these these big people are buried there, and it's uh. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of takes you for a spin. Like, oh, I'm I'm standing on top of, you know, one of the electors of the Holy Roman Empire. You know, that was when when I was over in in Germany last last not this past summer, obviously, but summer before last. I'm like, what do you? This feels so like dehumanizing to the guy. Who was that? <laughs> oh, I don't remember some some German gentleman from. Uh, this would have been in <laughs> that's in, the humanizing. That's the, that's the humanizing. It was, uh, <laughs> uh, so the cathedral at Mainz, which is, is down the, uh, down the Rhine from, uh, Cologne and sort of near Frankfurt by, oh, 30 minutes by train. That was where a bunch of people who voted for the Holy, uh, for the Holy Roman Emperor would meet. And so a lot of folks, because of that significance, would ask to then be buried at that cathedral. So that way, their vote could continue to influence future voters. Oh. Like their spirits could be around to still have a voice. And I don't remember the names of just think Hansel and, and Gretel, and, uh, you know, Gretel, Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> uh, yeah. The only English Kings I've been near dead English Kings is I went to, uh, uh, which we call Gloucester cathedral. And I believe that's Edward. The second is buried there. Oh, good for him. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with Hog- the Hogwarts kids. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been to Leicester as well, which is great. Seeing Richard. Bless him. We've only found him the other day. The other year. In a car park. <laughs> which was one of the best moments of my life. Just It was just oh, such a weird thing. I was like, oh yeah, we think <laughs> we think he might be buried in this car park. You're like, okay. Because we watched the documentary for it. And this woman, she's part of the Richard Third Foundation. She's like really into him, and she seemed really like creepy. She's like, "He's there. I can sense he's there." I'm like, 
what the fuck are you talking about? But when they do find him, it's like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> they got some guy from Canada who I think he's his like, descendant. And they got like dental records and they showed it. And it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, if you think, if, if I thought it was dehumanizing to be standing on top of somebody else's grave, multiple people parked on top of his. Yeah, and Lester, of course. <laughs> There's probably some, some woman who had a fire going, you fucking cheated on me. And he had to listen to all of that. He didn't get a vote in the Roman Empire. He had to listen to No, no. He just had to listen. Uh, poor guy was dug up before he could see him win. He's got a dope tomb, though, because it's, it's literally out in the cathedral. So, or the church. Um, it's like this sort of white marble type of tomb. And then on top of it, it's like encrusted with like a big cross. And then it's draped in the, um, the Plantagenet flag. That is pretty dope. I, I'm a big fan of that Plantagenet crest. They're pretty cool people. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all right, man. <laughs> they're cool. I think they're pretty. They're, they're pretty dope. You know those former Dukes of Anjou. They really bring it all over, man. Little, you know, they bring a touch of France, but not the queer part of France. <laughs> One of my favorite things the other day I read a comment was uh, on Facebook. It was on the Tower of London page. It was like, um. William the first died to this day in ten blah, blah, blah. and so <laughs> this woman put uh, we we recently found via, via ge- genealogy that my uh, great 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 ancestors came with William and they were became massive dukes and it's I'm just so proud to see like my legacy goes all the way back in this country and they put like the British flag and then the English flag I was like. They're French. <laughs> You're bragging about your ancestors <laughs> being French. What are you talking about <laughs> with the British and English flag? Like, that's what, I, yeah, like a whole big conversation about how <laughs> the idea of being happy about our, who are, our country, even though we're using literally a form of language which is evolved from Latin, French, <laughs> Viking, you know, G- Germanic. It's the great, it's the great thug. Of languages, English. Beautiful. Beautiful language. You know. We don't know what we'd we do without it. Obviously we're most we're the most important language in the world, of course. It's, oh clearly, clearly, absolutely. Speaking of language hardest to learn equals most important. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of languages though, according to your LinkedIn, it says that you can speak a few languages, right? Um, so I've got listed there Italian and Latin. So I cannot really speak Latin. Uh, I have very, very minimal uh, reading proficiency in it. Uh, but I, I can speak a, a bit of Italian to be able to hold a conversation with an Italian if necessary. That's awesome. With a couple of... St- yeah. Uh, let me see. Hola, uh, Italiano, ma il mio vocabulario non è troppo grande perché è difficile per praticare la lingua in Texas. Molto bene. <laughs> molto, molto bene. Buco de Beppo. That's all, that's all I'm saying. They're like, how are you? And I'm like, very good. <laughs> very good. Bellissima. No. They also, I just, I love the Italian word for the Renaissance. Speaking of history, it's just, already the Renaissance is such a great word. But it's Renascimento. Ooh, that's pretty fancy. And the phrase, during the Renaissance, durante il, no. Yeah, durante il Renascimento. That is a pretty sexy word. 
uh, Italians are very sexy and they, they, you know, they're sticking with it. You know, country may not be what it once was, but you know, they're, uh, the kits and jerseys of their professional football teams always look dope as hell. So, and their hair, and their hair yes, very thick haired gentlemen there. So you say and style it and then they work it down and style it super suave. Can you say anything in Latin? Oh gosh, I have to really dig for it because it takes needing to read it. Um, I can say two words. Uh, cave canem. Uh, vale decem. Vale decem. Which is Farewell 10. And I know that because it's the theme song for when the 10th Doctor regenerates. <laughs> um, let me try to think a good Latin phrase. God, because I, I haven't... I feel like maybe I'm lying on my LinkedIn. I have to really uh, dig through to get stuff. Uh, yeah, I got you. Moment. <laughs> Argentus et... Uh, Argentus et Canem Oh no, Pachem, like the the banker and the dogger at peace. <laughs> Good for them. Good for them. No, Argentus really strikes in my mind because, uh, as meaning banker, because that's we get silver. Uh, and you know, like how silver is AR in the periodic table. Right. It's in Ar- Ar- Argentina, the land of silver. So the banker is Argentus. A big problem is when I pivoted. Uh, so I took Latin in high school, but when I pivoted to Italian in college, a lot of my Latin went by the wayside and hopped over to uh, Italian. That's but, fair. Though. Yeah, the main reason. I, yeah, the main reason I use Latin is when I do find myself doing research on stuff that is like going through documents of the Catholic Church, which has been a while, to be fair, or uh, documents when, you know, Latin was kind of the state languages. It would prove useful then, though, of course, at that point, the Latin is really bastardized compared to the classical Latin that was spoken in the Roman Empire. So there's little spatterings of other languages. So I just use it to be able to get a general gist if I'm looking for particular pieces of information. And then if it if I feel good about it, I have a a very close friend of mine is a professional translator, so I just kind of pass it on to him, and you know just kind of give him a piece of the commission or pay him some sort of rate we negotiate. That's awesome. I think I might have to try and learn a bit more Latin. Yeah, just inside the past time. <laughs> hey, that's a twenty twenties for okay. You know, at this rate, it's, Judgment Day is coming, and if you can't pick up Aramaic to speak to the demons, then you know. They may know Latin. That's gonna be so. That's gonna be so embarrassing when Pazuzu shows up my door, speaks Latin. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Pazuzu. I'll let you down. Pazuzu, I have no, no earthly idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> like that is what I'm talking about. Hell. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, you speak English? <laughs> yes, yes. I was, just, I was just being formal. My boss was watching over me, but he turned a corner. <laughs> hey, Beazelbub. See, see you later. <laughs> see you later, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bubby. Oh, oh, yeah. I love all that crazy stuff. Uh, well, actually, I'm actually doing a Star Wars um, historical like, element for the Patreon, so that would be interesting to have you on, and we'll dive into some episodes. And if you want to talk about certain topics, that'd be interesting to do. It would be an honor and a delight. I think there, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. The only, like, a big complaint I've had about with Star Wars celebrations is that 
there haven't been many panels that talk about the intersection of Star Wars and history. There was a military history one about The Last Jedi at Chicago, but I collectively boycotted it with Nikki because the guy who it was like a fan panel and the guy who put it on had no background in history, really, other than just being interested. And Nikki's like, I'm the one who's got a degree in the damn in the yeah. damn thing. This should be me. Like, yeah, screw that guy. And it was like him and Jason. But he had Jason Fry on it talking about, like, I think uh, military history when doing the novelization of The Last Jedi. So there were planes in the real world, and they look like spaceships, right? <laughs> the, they look like spaceships, back. yeah. <laughs> That's the extent of it. And uh, no, and then at Celebration Anaheim 2015, I saw a panel with uh, Drew Carpetian of uh, the guy who wrote uh, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, and the Darth, uh, the Darth Bane novels, and Darth Revan and whatnot. And during the Q&A, I asked him, like, hey, do you have any historical influences that you derive stuff from? And he said, for him, it was largely ancient. If anything, it was largely ancient Rome. So I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, yeah, a lot of crazy shit happened ancient Rome. You could also just be lying and say, oh yeah, ancient Rome. And you'd be right. I mean, Pretty much. <laughs> you got a, hu- a huge time of window to pick from. If you're not specifying the Roman Empire, you got like what is that, 753 years plus 460 something? Yeah, so I mean, there you go. That's a good run. I mean, just Caligula by himself. <laughs> it's like an, an entire like nosedive of a topic. <laughs> so I know that you're the one asking the questions, but I just, I just want to dive in here. So Caligula is your favorite Roman emperor? Is that is that? I don't think he's my favorite Roman emperor, but he's certainly interesting. He's an interesting character. I mean, that's what I like about these things. It's like I don't want to pick a favorite per se, but they're definitely a great character. Yeah, yeah, favorite to favorite to read about for sure. Yeah, for me, it's it's Hadrian um, because he did the most for like infrastructure on a super large empire in terms of Hadrian's Wall and how he put Roman baths all over the the empire to try to be not only a a luxury but a propaganda tool to the natives natives like Celts and Gauls and people in North Africa to say this is what Rome can provide to you literal cleansliness but my favorite to study is Pupianus uh just because of the name it's a great name that is a great name and uh yeah everyone always says like if you had to compare certain world leaders to uh Someone from history, who would it be? And everyone tries to pick like, oh, James Buchanan, because he saw the end of the American Republic. No, 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 no. You got to go Roman emperors, and it's poopy anus. <laughs> For all the bad guys out there, they're all poopy anus. That's certainly a headline. That could be the Emperor Palpatine's poopy anus. <laughs> Somehow poopy anus returned. <laughs> <laughs> he, went, he, he went to Taco Bell again. God. I was just trying to make sure if there was like an already like a, some sort of meme of Palpatine. Palpatine and poopy anus? Yeah. That would be like hanging out in like a really specific corner of SPQR posting cross-reference with Sith posting. <laughs> like a very thin segment of Facebook groups. I can't seem to find one. There you go. It's up to you. Make that happen. Hadrian's Wall is pretty awesome. There's still bits of it left in 
around the UK? Yeah, that's a big, you know, I don't want to say pilgrimage because there's no religious element for it, but that's a, a major point for me that I'd love to go see. I actually haven't spent much time at all, really, uh, in the northern part of your country. So uh, I'd love to do that. Yeah, there's bits of, uh, you know that museum I talked to you about earlier about, London, the London Museum? Mm-hmm. Literally outside there is like, like four segments of Hadrian's Wall. Oh, there we go. So I don't even need to travel that far. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to go north. Horrible. I'm joking. I've got northern blood. <laughs> My family come from Yorkshire. Um, so yeah, definitely. I definitely recommend going there. It's pretty fun as well. You go out, have a little picnic. Walk, out, walk around. You can see like St. Paul's in the distance. It's pretty fun. But let's go back. Mom. <laughs> yes, let's go back. A little bit to the questions. This is, this is fun, yes, actually. This yes. is the first time I've sort of gone a bit off script, but also I think I've kept my composure a little bit, which is fun. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, you're like, a, you're, you're being very much of a David Letterman here. Oh, that's quite the uh, compliment. Yeah, you know, you can be like a David Letterman or a, or a Jay Leno, and I think you're ah. going the David Letterman route. <laughs> one Jay Leno voice. You want? You guys hear about this? You see about this? Hmm? Read about this. Cars? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think the sort because of... I could talk to you all day about your like the profession, what you do, but what I want to know is actually if you could pick any other profession, what would it be? Oh, that is a really tough question and one that I ask myself every single day because I, you know, in terms of what my, my mainstream profession is, I, I do not necessarily want to stick with uh, what I'm presently doing. We're actually looking at trying to uh, sell the, the family company or, or, or license out the IP in a way where everyone could be comfortable and the idea that I would maybe want to move out of that particular industry where I'm operating in, which is the industry of, of high tech. Uh, high performance networking. So everyone asked me like, oh, what would you be doing? You know, what would you want to do instead? Or when this is through? And I honestly don't know the answer to that. And and the reason for it is not because I couldn't figure out what to do, but there's so many things I could choose to do. So many different things that I find so appealing. You know, there is the possibility of maybe I'd want to go back into academia. I, I tried a master's degree for for one year after I graduated. And the program wasn't my cup of tea. And there's a little bit of academic burnout too, but maybe I'd want to go, you know, get a PhD, choose that route, or, you know, kind of the, like in a non-Trumpian environment, perhaps see what would, looking in, working in like a State Department type environment is, or like an ambassador corps. Uh, that was what I originally thought I was going to do when I was in that one master's program. So that option's still on the table. Or, you know, if I find myself in a place where I can be comfortable because we do sell data vortex for a, you know, an appropriate amount of amount of money, then I can sort of take time off to, to really do moments of self-exploration and perhaps touch more in base with my creative side, you know, back to my, my, my dad's grandfather. I have a couple of creative writing projects that I've started, but just due to other distractions with that work. Or, um, you know, my freelance historical research and other writings that I do there or my, you know, just other things. I haven't really been able to explore some of these creative projects I'm working on. Um, so maybe spend time dedicated to that. But, you know, I just want to once again bring it to 
the whole Indiana Jones thing, which I still find is very much driving my life philosophy, which is I do not want to pigeonhole myself into a particular category professionally. So that spirit of who I am and what interests me will follow me around. But, you know, as far as I see, there's no real pivot between what I'm doing now, what I will do and what I have done. It's all part of the same narrative. But just for creativity's sake, if I had to do something totally different, I would be a cosmologist. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, <laughs> there's a long one to answer that one. Uh, I say that for creativity's sake because it would take a lot of work to, to get to that. Uh, but just in terms of something totally different that isn't like, you know, ballerina. It, uh, I've always been fascinated in the study of the universe from a very grand scale. I took uh, two courses in that in college. I've sort of casually read popular science articles on it. So I'd love to be able to, you know, maybe if I could hit a reset button, sort of, and, and had to go that scientist route, that's the one I would take. I mean, wow. That's actually really interesting that you said cosmology, because... I guess with like history and stuff, it's like space is such an interesting subject just because we don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Like we, we know less than we know about it, I guess you'd say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just from like the big cosmological questions, you know, what is it like 80% of mass and matter in the in the universe is unaccounted, uh, unaccounted for. We just say, okay, there we go, dark matter. Ooh, <laughs> there it is. Brilliant. It's just something we can't see. And that implies one of two things, either A, there really is something out there we can't register, or B, the topology of the universe that we have committed to since Einstein may be very, very off. And so I, I wish to the heavens, I could be intelligent enough to work on that problem, but that takes a particular wiring of the brain. I don't think I have, um, but I think it's really cool to to imagine. And you know, like you said, with history, the history of cosmology and the history of uh, astronomy, where it's trying to have an understanding of how people saw the, the night sky and what they perceived was going on there, and then how people tried to perceive the evolution of the universe and what exactly is its shape? The geometry of the universe has always fascinated me and how things choose to, to interact with it. I also appre- not choose to. We don't we obviously don't choose to interact with gravity. It's just happening. Like, I'm, like, I'm not going to follow gravity. Today. <laughs> just flow off into the air. Let's just go away. Bye. I also love how <laughs> your career trajectory, uh, trajectory in terms of what you could do kind of feels like that Tim Curry meme. Spice. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. That's always the go-to when you have you when you run out of anything. If you have an argument with your partner, and like, well, what can we do to move on from here? Just say space. <laughs> spice. Spice. <laughs> well, I think yeah. I'm going to wrap this up with the the three questions I ask everyone. Quick fire round. You ready? All right. Absolutely. But these are also deep questions, which is which is why I, I think it's funny that they're a quick fire round. Okay. Let's do this. Right. <laughs> Number one, what religion are you? <laughs> <laughs> What's your position on Israel and Palestine? No, I'm joking. I'll cut that out. Um, no, number one would be this question. What's a memory you cherish the most? 
a memory I cherish the most. Hmm. Oh gosh, you know, I, I feel like I've really had a a life well lived. But I'll go ahead and, and pick one that, that's taught. I have a lot of memories I'm happy about, but one that I hold very dear to me and dear to, to many fans of the show is at Star Wars Celebration in Chicago, being at the Marriott on that last night, that Marriott hotel lobby. Most everybody else had left for that Marriott bar, except it was it was you guys and fans, friends of yours showing. I was like, what, 10 of us around the table and you have that picture. And that's the real bow to that event. You know, it's really the and, and you recorded your live show uh, for the Imperial Senate podcast. And I'll always cherish that because that is a representation of what the Star Wars fandom is uh, to me. And, you know, why even with like all the tough stuff that the, the hatred and that you see online and just the vitriol that, you know, at the root of it, it's just people who all are getting around and enjoying the same thing in their own way. So there's my answer to that. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to be part of your. uh most cherished memory. Second question, you ready? Mm-hmm. What do you ultimately want to be reminded for when you die? Oh gosh. Um I think it would be for who I am, not necessarily what I I did. Because trying to chase legacy based on accomplishments i've seen really you know get at people and as somebody you know i'm not i'm not an artist i'm not quite the creator as other people even though you know like i say i have creative projects i'd like to explore i don't want to be like oh he wrote something or he you know made this particular thing that requires interaction i want it to be remembered by people who knew me or people who knew of me that uh reed was a nice person he was a funny person. He was inherently kind. And that he promoted these feelings for other people to have about themselves. You know, just to be remembered as being just however slight, however small, just a, a slightly positive force in, in people's lives. And just, you know, anytime I make someone laugh or make somebody smile or just make someone feel better about themselves because they're having a bad day. Like that's how I want to be known because that's built upon just like who I am and how I interact with the world. That's a great answer. Again, I've said this before on the show, the amount of pe the, the five people that I've had on so far, including you have all said incredible answers. And I'm just glad that I know you guys. Cause I mean, that reflects <laughs> in my choice of, <laughs> of meeting good people. <laughs> Yes, it's a reflection of you, for sure. And you've surrounded yourself by good people. And, you know, you're a real uh, catalyst and center point of an excellent reflection of the Star Wars fandom, for sure. And a lot of people, I know I, for one, very thankful for how you've become a, a real tour de force of sorts in, in being a, that uniter. So I'm glad. Thank I you. remember uh, when I met you for the first time, it was just one of those fun little things where it's like, Within about five minutes, you just feel really comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Likewise. Yeah. And I think, yeah, definitely like meeting when I met Nikki for the first time, it was just a meeting of minds where it's just like you, you know, you, you tune a radio into the same frequency. That it's not really that mm -hmm. difficult to completely connect on that level. It makes me so happy that you guys have your show still going on. And what was it? You hit your 
was it your four year anniversary just recently? Yeah. That's incredible. Bravo to that. And, you know, I'm super excited that, you know, come Star Wars Celebration 2022, that'll be six years for you guys. Not that six is, you know, mathematically as sexy a number as five, but it's one more than five. And so, you know, because it's it, pretty much in tandem, right? Wasn't it July or August that you first kicked it up? I think it must have been August because it was definitely the Rogue One trailer. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. So it'll be kind of flying up with your six-year uh, anniversary when that happens. Oh, yeah, we'll do, won't it? Oh, that's crazy. We'll have to do, like, a big party for that. Well, hopefully we'll be doing a live show, at, like a proper live show at the event. Gonna... Oh, with the stage. Well, even with the stage, oh. and if we don't get that, or maybe if we just get a bonus one anyway, I definitely want to look at, like, maybe hiring out a bar or something. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. That'd be fun to have like different shows and stuff, but then it being like us hosting it and everything, doing live stupid stuff, that'd be interesting. And also to get wasted. Co Bibble's babble, Co Bibble's babble bubble will be a corporate sponsor. I mean, you'll be performing. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you know, just trying to throw my little prequels tidbits where I can. Uh, God bless the prequels. Speaking of here, here, Star Wars though, our final question: Are you prepared for this? Oh, yes. I've been looking forward to it since the get-go. So uh, I will say, if you don't want to answer it, that's completely fine by me. Um, it's a question that is just designed to be stu- stupid and silly. Um, don't take it too seriously. You ready? Yes, sir. Star Wars or sex? Well, okay. <laughs> this is very fascinating. Because the whole idea is that do you is is it choosing is is the rules involved that this is what I'm choosing right now or by selecting one the other is totally off the table. The other one is totally off the table for the rest of your life. Totally off the table. Okay. Now what about my experiences with it? Did they get erased or do I remember? You remember. Wait. I, I get to remember. Ooh. Yeah, this isn't like a universal wiping of the memory, so you don't have to like think about the options. You you have a memory of the option. Yeah. Well, I've been feeling rather monastic lately, so <laughs> I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Star Wars. You know, Star Wars was was there for me before. Uh, I got to enjoy that other. <laughs> The other, the other ones, so I'll get to enjoy it afterwards. I'm sure, even in real life, when I uh, lose the vigor of, of being a, a young man in age, if it's between Viagra and, uh, and Star Wars, I think I'll choose Star Wars at that point, too. So I'll, I'll double down on that answer. And thankfully, in, like, in real life, there is no weird universal decree where you have to pick one. So in a way, maybe Star Wars can be your Viagra. Holy moly, there you go. Well, you guys got to watch Attack of the Clones when they're on Naboo, am I right? Hey! <laughs> the first thought that came into my head for some strange reason was episode three when Count Dooku does the backflip. Look at him, oh. he's doing a backflip. Quick, Susan. An old man can have a little bit of, quick, little bit of vigor going on. <laughs> quick, Susan. <laughs> Susan. I like your... Uh, your... Your fictitious old wife. Or maybe she's just a woman you're at the retirement home with. I don't know. What, what's <laughs> yeah, your relationship with this Susan? You're shouting Susan at me. Yeah. Like he's talking about <laughs> Susan again. Who's Susan? We don't know. 
Who's Count Dooku? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> he did a backflip. <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting there in a rocking chair. Yes, you flip. Flip, sir, flip. I'll be your droid car. <laughs> Ray Shields. Who's Ray Shields? <laughs> Maybe she was some sort of old film star back in the day. <laughs> Uh, that's still the out of the whole Ray um, memes. <laughs> the Ray Skywalker memes. That one's still probably my favorite. Ray who Ray Shields. That was my favorite meme from I think episode. I think episode after episode seven came out was when someone <laughs> someone just did the the scene from episode three, but they did the the Ray Shields and like made the opacity like thirty percent, and had her face covering <laughs> the Ray Shield. It's great. It's the smiley face <laughs> as well when she goes, "I bypassed the compressor." <laughs> um, so Reed, uh, thank you for coming on. Oh, absolutely! This was a very delightful hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah, I apologize for not going strictly like question by question as usual, but sometimes it's just fun to sort of you know go off the cuff a little bit. You got to be like Bruce Lee and uh, just be like water. See where the container, you know, fill it all up. Donnie Yen, Kung Fu. <laughs> just, just different things now. The, just different things about Chinese martial the 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 crow. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, don't do the crow. Uh, don't do the crow. Good movie though. <laughs> you can enjoy the crow, I suppose. Is that was that the uh, <laughs> Egbert <laughs> review? <laughs> the Roger Egbert review. <laughs> don't do the crow, but it's a good. Don't film, do though. the. But it's a good. Film. <laughs> Well, Reed, where can everyone find you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you can find uh, my personal Twitter is uh, at RealRDev, uh, the letter R, D-E-V is in Victor. Or you can find uh, my show, C.O. Bibble's Babble Bubble, which is available on, I don't know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all the other third-party ones out there you may like to use or not. You can follow that Twitter account at C.O. Bubble. And if you're ever in Austin, Texas, COVID uh 19 is is totally gone then uh, you can find me hanging out at your favorite watering hole <laughs> <laughs> wherever that is i'll be don't tell me though rustling cattle we'll find them. <laughs> yeah <laughs> man i'm starting to sound like a an armadillo spent too much time in a barrel bowl of barrel oil here <laughs> tripping over my words just saying any generic term you can think of any, any generic Texas sounding term I was, to hop out of I was thing. worried earlier when you said that you when you spoke to those girls that you were gonna do an impression of um like Yosemite Sam. I <laughs> <laughs> see. No, get out of here. <laughs> you bad. <laughs> Bet, better Yosemite Sam than Foghorn Leghorn. I say, I say here, boy. <laughs> it's a game. Your hair's not screwed on right. Excuse me, I think you have to leave. <laughs> you have to leave. Are you okay? 